Nothing like getting home from saving the planet and being greeted by the cheapest sets you have ever seen here on Vidra Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I don't care what you want. We're getting married anyways. I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, before we get into talking Star Trek episodes, I got other Star Trek topics I'd like to talk about. Is that okay with you? You want to talk video games? I would, because I, uh, I both of us actually purchased Star Trek Infinite. I've played it. I don't think you have, correct? No, listen, this playing video games, I don't, I don't know what kind of plebeian shit that is. I, I buy, I collect the games, and then they sit on a digital <laughs> shelf on my hard drive, never to be looked at. Uh, I'm so deep in the, this love affair with Cyberpunk 2.0. Uh, thank God I didn't play it when it initially came out because I am having a fucking blast with it. And anybody who does not get to play it the way I'm playing it, I feel sorry for you. But yeah, Star Trek Infinite came out, which is a big deal because um, you're a huge fan of Stellaris. I truly am. How many hours a, do you think you got in Stellaris? Uh, I checked before I uh, cracked open uh, Infinite and it was uh, 1,012 hours. The self-control that I have that I didn't just spit this fucking drink in my keyboard a thousand i can't did you leave the computer on and then go to vacation in japan (laughs) uh in truth i think that almost all of those hours i had got during the pandemic i think but my love affair with paradox games was my key coping mechanism while I was doing work from home. And so you have to keep in mind that I'm here and sometimes I'm very busy and sometimes I'm not. And the times I'm not, I got one screen that's got my email open and the other screen I'm conquering either some kind of country uh, or star system. And so I racked up a lot of hours in Stellaris and Crusader Kings and then uh, Hearts of Iron 4 as a consequence of of the pandemic era, I don't think I actually have touched Stellaris in a couple of years because I hadn't. I've been rotating through my Paradox games, and I decided not to because I saw Star Trek Infinite was coming out, and it looked like straight up like it was using Stellaris's engine. I had no idea it was going to be just a Stellaris like mod. <laughs> it's. It uses the engine, it uses the resource system, it uses the UI. It's basically just a Stellaris mod that you paid $30 for. Genius, in a way, because it kind of dumbs the game down a little bit to make it a little more accessible. You know, you start out with more going on, so you don't have that, like, early game, you know, sludge factor where you're trying just to get your feet under you and it's kind of boring. Um it tries to lean into the trekness of it all, but boy, oh boy, it's it's the laziest shit I think I have ever seen a game studio put out because they did no work except just scratch some of the serial numbers off and, and put a, a UFP sticker on it. $30, it's like a red flag. You see $30 and it's like, man, that's an impulse buy and it's usually that for a reason. I really love the uh, State of Decay games. Those are $30 and a, not a polished product. I'm still looking forward to it. I watched some of your Twitch stream on it. It was uh, entertaining to watch you go through as an old pro. I see some people out there 
doing a little cheating. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Our some circles. of our yeah, some of our Discord members decided to break out the console commands very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unnecessary, frankly. I mean, you're just you're only cheating yourselves, boys. Like, just give it a go. Go, just just lose. It's okay. Speaking of giving it a go, uh, some exciting news in spheres that are going to be of uh, great interest to us very soon. Yeah, possibly. Rumors that they have greenlit, or I'm sorry, that they're actively scouting people to come in and do high-def remasters on Deep Space Nine. And that's pertinent to us because Deep Space Nine is going to be our next destination after we finish off Enterprise. And my fear at this point is that they are going to do this. It is not going to be ready by the time we start and that we're going to get pretty deep in to DS9 before those things release. And it's going to be sad because we're going to be sitting there slogging through standard def when there could be some hot shit especially some of those space battles, because I know DS9's got some choice war sequences. Sure does. Uh, Sacrifice of Angels in particular is probably the biggest Trek battle scene aside from... Well, it's it's definitely got more going on in it, actually, than First Contact. Really? Yeah, in terms of like the level of all the pieces that are happening, all the different ships, all the different classes, they all get to do cool stuff. Um, they actually redid that scene in high def for the what you left behind documentary, I believe that one specifically. And I'm, I'm curious if perhaps that lit a fire underneath someone at Paramount to finally do this. I, I think it's shocking they haven't done it. Um, I remember watching the TNG Blu-ray versions of Best of Both Worlds in the theaters a decade ago, if not more, uh, when that was being done. And the fact that they just never did it for DS9 is show that I think there would be a huge audience to race to purchase uh, high def remasters of is is kind of stunning. Uh, but I don't know if it was just very time consuming and the technology's gotten easier and now they, it's a little more cost effective and they can consider doing it for a show. AI, AI maybe. Yeah. And consider that. Think about the root of all evil, and that's money. Who would foot the bill on that? Because Star Trek being in the uh, secret hideout bad robot camp, like they're not going to pay to remaster old shit. They want to put money into their new projects. Oh, Paramount when, probably owns the old stuff outright. Sure, but when Star Trek's doing nothing but losing money, it's hard to bookmark more money for Star Trek, even though you can say, no, this is good Trek, not your bad new Trek. Uh, or maybe they're, uh, they're I'm, dude, these contracts, I'm sure there's so much fucking red tape. Well, I think the business case is there because, you know, if you're looking at trying to get money out of Trek as a franchise and you're paramount, like, okay, this new stuff, whatever, it's a disaster. What do we, what can we do with what we already made? And you say, well, we haven't done a re, uh, HD remaster of most of our, you know, existing catalog, right? We haven't done it for DS9 or Voyager or, or even Enterprise. It was shot in HD, but like, you know, you, you could upscale it and back up in the 4K or something. And, you know, if you want to make a quick buck, 
these are the kinds of people who would be willing to buy physical media. And these are the people who want the interesting part in this is if you were like, okay, we're going to remaster these things. We're not going to put it on Paramount plus where these are going to sit as Blu-ray exclusives for a year or something. And then maybe we transport it over. Uh, We keep coming back to physical media and it's because this stuff came out at the height of like profitability on that and, and why it's a big deal. I saw a news story that, Who's dropping? I think Walmart's going to quit selling movies. Best Buy. Best Buy is going to stop. Best Best Buy is confirmed to stop. Walmart's rumored to be following suit. It's always there on Amazon. I just bought a Blu-ray movie for the first time, and I can't tell me how many years, because Venture Brothers put out their uh, feature length. Something beats the heart of the baboon. I don't know. I'm rewatching the whole series before I get up to it, but uh, you know, I bought that off Amazon. And that'll always be an option. I've never thought I would go back to buy physical media, but I don't know, man. There's some compelling use cases out there for it right now. You see that more with video games now, too. You're seeing people turn back to physical media as a collector's item and security measure. There's there's examples of people who have had games deleted from their hard drive because like of rights issues. So they're sure. just snatched away. Um, Nintendo you know, eStore is gone, so people with 3DS, that's a big deal. If all you had was uh, digital copies, that's all gone if you, you know, have to format your drive, remove devices or whatever. And then, um, you know, we're we're spoiled for being Steam users because Steam has had such a extensive history of being consumer friendly. One Gabe Newell heart attack away from who knows, right? right. Like, who knows what could happen there? Like, the fact that all of the Steam games I've ever purchased in my entire life, regardless of those games still remain purchasable on the platform are still available for me to freely download and install and uninstall and use for the entirety of the time I've had the account over the last, oh, I don't know, 16, 17, 18 years, whatever it's been now. 20. Um, 20 years um, is kind of insane. And that could end at any time. Half-Life 2 came out and that was one of the first games on Steam. And that was uh, released 2004. 2004 2005 yeah so about 18 years that's what i thought it was because i remember the first one i got the orange box Mm -hmm. and uh i played a ton of CS:GO and team fortress 2 and all of that and that was how i got introduced to steam as well yep well uh i would like them to remaster deep space nine i would like them to do it sooner than later hopefully there's some you know point and click here it is ai job yeah, I hope, there's I hope a chance AI makes it easy and we can we can watch in HD. That would be pretty dope. That would be really good. You know, although thinking back on Voyager, it wasn't that bad. No, no, not at all. Um, and there's a charm to it. It gives you that sort of retro quality if you're watching something that definitely is from its era. And uh, I don't mind it either. And I also nope. did not mind what we watched this week for Enterprise. Peter, what was that? We're... Damn it. <laughs> I got we're watching. Entry. We're watching Star Trek Enterprise season four, episode three, Home. This is written by Michael Sussman, is directed by Alan Croker. This came out on October 22nd, 2004. <gasps> Joe, it's almost uh, what? 
20 some years to the date. It's October 19 21st. years to the day. Yeah. There Almost 19 years to the day. It was faded. I've been waiting for this to happen, you know, for a long time for us to discuss an episode like on an exact anniversary. We just got to stretch tonight's recording out four hours so we can cross midnight. <laughs> oh, God help us. Again, episode one, episode two, Stormfront, part one and two did not need to happen, man. Right here it is. This, this is exactly where season four should have fucking started. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to deny that, right? I was a defender of Stormfront part one. I think we both cashed in on Stormfront part two. But in the end, um, they were just sort of very extra nonsensical things that don't get mentioned, by the way, in this episode at all. How do you not mention that either? <laughs> the guy's like, it's got off the whole Hitler alternate history thing where it's like, don't even worry about it, guys. <laughs> don't even. How during the shuttlecraft ride over to Vulcan did Trip not turn over to uh, to Paul and be like, you know, I still can't get over the fact I blew up a shuttlecraft full of Nazis. <laughs> I like get a, it in next a twenty gen. for one. They played. They went in there like a clown car. <laughs> I mean, that's some Battlefield 3 shit right there. How I get in the 24th century, like stuff like that, losing its luster, being a little less cool because, hey, you know, that's just a fucking Tuesday night in the holodeck or whatever. These guys, that's probably the first time they've ever blown up a shuttlecraft full of Nazis in their life. Like, yeah, it could be a once and only for them. You would think mm-hmm. you would reflect on it. But yes, this is this is the real season premiere. and. It does jump right back into the the vibe of where we were, which is, boy, these guys went through it. Um, you know, Archer still got the like head wound scars. Um, you know, Hoshi in her one scene talking about how she got those neural parasites. Like the ship's all still fucked up, needs to be repaired. You know, it's there. It's raw. It just happened, and now they're all dealing with the consequences. That's the whole point of the episode. Well, very simple, very effective. Here's the consequence, right? You just saved not only the world, but pretty much the entire fucking universe, right? Yeah. From being turned into goo space. And your consequence for saving the day and being the heroes of the universe is the cheapest, most budget conscious community youth theater stage piece I have ever seen. It is astonishing how cheap it looks. Astonishing. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I watched this episode many times, not just before now, but in the past. And I never really noticed because I wasn't thinking of it with the same critical eye, how fucking cheap this was it's like that budget cut conversation we had when we talked about season four boy can you see it enterprise is in orbit uh at the end of stormfront part two we found out that there were in fact ships all kinds of starfleet ships (laughs) 15 of them at least a dozen uh the one remaining shuttle pod you know, the one that did not get to go down the MVP shuttle. That's what it should have come to. Like, where's the other shuttle pod? Oh, we blew it up. Why? It was filled with Nazis. What? No, no, <laughs> can't, can't tell you. There were not. No, 
Hush, no. hush. Top secret. Put it right up there with the spore drive never to be spoken of. The remaining shuttle pod drops down, um, flies into San Francisco. There is a cinder block box out in the middle of the ocean. We're going to find out that's, in fact, sports ball stadium. Bay Stadium. That's all it's called. How do you get out to Bay Stadium? Who knows? It's in the middle of the bay. Do they just teleport in? That's within their ability. Yeah, that's true. But I, I just, like I think there's a bridge in this photo. It is not a well constructed CG shot. We'll just put it that there's way. There's no windows. Maybe it used to be Alcatraz. I I couldn't tell you. But uh, they fly down, and uh, it's it's an award podium, and everybody gets off the sh- the pod, and they go up to this award podium. And when I tell you, you know, I say a lot of shit, kind of like facetiously. Mm-hmm. Um playing with the truth, yeah. talking out of my ass. When it's I tell our, it's you, our brand. I, it's our brand. Yeah. It's every podcast. That's two white guys brand, right? Yeah. It's a time honored tradition. It is. When I tell you that I could go in my backyard and with one trip to Home Depot and, and my minivan to bring all the supplies back, I could faithfully recreate this entire awards dais. Yeah. Set piece. It, with the lighting. With the help of my six-year-old. Mm-hmm. In Some, a day and a half, the windows out. Yeah, mm-hmm. someone's got to color the fucking the the United Earth symbol on the front of the podium, and this is all minor stuff, right? And we're nitpicking because because that's also our brand. But like, I just sat through a whole season of these guys doing the most amazing acts of heroism and self sacrifice, and like this award ceremony is as much for the viewers that went through this journey with the crew as the crew itself. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be better to just have this on the front yard of Nazi occupied White House, because I think <laughs> that bad CGI could be the only thing to really rival how fucking whack this set piece is for such an important moment. Legitimately, Mr. Rogers has better set pieces, you know, like the most bargain basement public access shit is what this appears to be. The, the productions at my in my high school drama classes had better production than this. Um, it's 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 not the only time, by the way. We could we we're, we're going to run the whole gambit of fucking cheap <laughs> bullshit in this episode. We're going to go back to the one bar, right? That one shitty bar that apparently all the Starfleet people go to. We're going to see that one twice. We're going to we're going to see grand vistas of foreign planets and then we're going to cut back to the same hell cave cliffs that uh fucking trip was hanging out with a uh, reptile on two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. I mean we're it, it is showing that they had half as much money to spend on this shit so hard. And yet none of it really matters because this show has now firmly established itself as uh, character driven. Yes, it and does. There is such good scenes going that, like you and I, our filthy shared former hobby of live yeah. action role playing. When you and I could go and have a scene deciding the fate of an entire city uh, and life and death matters, and have these conversations, pretending that we're in some you know nice redwood. Uh, paneled boardroom and in fact we're standing in a fucking parking garage next to the local university it shows you that you know if you've got a good 
um, character story or you've got riveting plot, the surroundings don't really matter and you can distract the. Oh yeah. And really only minimal efforts necessary to bring in a full engrossment. I remember Peter, like one of my strongest memories of, of you and I in our hobby together is uh, when I was playing uh, Nessing and I came into the room that you had prepared essentially as your dark throne room mm-hmm. built to intimidate people that came in. And it was like the side room of an event we were having at a Holiday Inn. You did some shit with the lighting. It was a Hyatt Regency. Okay, it was a Hyatt Re- You know what I'm saying, though. Like, yeah. all you had to do, you fucked with the lighting a little bit. You fucked with the furniture a little bit. You set a, a circumstance where you were enshrouded in darkness and intimidate the fucking of anybody that came in and that's all it fucking took it's all it yep. took so you're you're absolutely right we're gonna nitpick the fuck out of how cheap this is but at any end it doesn't matter because the actors actually do great and that's what i'm here for the guest actor in this is great the the side characters that we haven't seen in a while are great and your main cast all of them deliver and it ends up being a very good story so that story begins with archer giving a speech to a terrible CG crowd from like PS one era <laughs> <laughs> about how the real heroes, of course, are the 27 crew members who didn't make it back uh, a number. We've, we've heard before. Uh, and uh, no mention uh, of Degra. And I was kind of, I was going to get my back up about that, but I was like, eh, it's going to be hard to convince everybody that the guy who initially nuked you turned out to be a good guy. It's, it's a little too soon to tell that story to the masses. We'll tell them about how rad Space Oppenheimer was some other time. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's happy to see him. They're all smiling. Enterprise has returned home to a grateful Earth. And when we cut back after the credits. Uh, Real, I, before we go any deeper, I called it out in the trauma support group. When Archer goes up to give the speech and there is the podium and there's like the United Earth logo. There's only one wreath on the left-hand side. Is that like, did the other part fall off? Is that no, half no. the budget? United, that- United Earth only had one wreath because the United Federation of Planets has two. That was a design decision. It wasn't until we brought in the Andorians and the Vulcans that we learned the beauty of symmetry. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the Andorians, right? Yeah. So uh, Archer, he goes to the one bar. The one bar we saw in first flight. Where you only he- get one wreath and one bar in the post-scarcity utopia of uh, Earth. This is communism, people. All right. And uh, at this bar, Archer meets, uh, who will become a recurring character this season, uh, his age-appropriate girlfriend, uh, spoiler alert, Erica Hernandez, who we will also find out is the captain of the NXO2, the Columbia. How do you feel about Hernandez? I think that they talk a lot about how they wanted to do more with Hernandez and they had all these, you know, these ideas of expanding, you know, Columbia and, and doing more with it if they got season five. And um, I don't think that necessarily was there, but as a foil to Archer, as someone that he that can kind of be the 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 captain that learns from him that also they have a, a, a con, you know a sort of a complicated personal history i like it and i like the actress they picked for it i'm gonna have to keep an eye on her as the season goes on because the vibes i'm getting off right now is that it's feels either bad casting or bad direct i don't know well let's talk about her for a second because 
in this episode, at least, she represents what Archer was, and that was an optimist scientist explorer. Whereas Archer is right now very much a jaded PTSD war veteran uh, who is pained to see her because she reminds him of what he was and specifically what he lost. I don't buy her as captain material. Although Archer season one was terrible captain material as well. So I guess maybe that's just a (laughs) Starfleet hallmark at this point is just picking the wrong person for an important job. I take I, it back. She's a great Starfleet captain. <laughs> well, she she scarcely acts as captain in this. It's she's acting as Archer's companion and girlfriend ultimately. Uh she's thinking they only go to the NXO2 very briefly. But she in the time that you see her acting as captain of Columbia she performs well, better than Archer did in season one in that regard. So I feel like she does pretty good. Um, it's it's ultimately not a role with a ton to it because we are in the last season. She's in a half dozen episodes and that's basically it. But I do really appreciate that they created a foil for Archer that did exactly what you just mentioned, which is represent where he was at the beginning of his journey to give you the contrast of how far he's come or how far he's fallen, depending on your perspective and the emotional trauma that has created for him. That is a great story for him specifically, right? Like that's gotta be Archer's journey. Like he's, he has to bear the weight of the command decisions he made to save earth. And he has to be tortured by them because everyone on earth is going to be happy, right? There's like, we're alive. Whatever the fuck you did, we don't care, right? He's going to get a free pass on everything. You you don't really have to wonder like, oh boy, are, are Starfleet command going to be pissed about him, you know, blowing up that um, uh, Zindi uh, uh, observation station or stranding all those people to steal the part or torturing a couple people or whatever. No, fuck no. Of course not. <laughs> like the, he, he beat all the odds. He successfully defeated the Zindi and then the Nazis, he, you know, like he did it all. Like, of course he's going to be fine. So the only drama can be that he doesn't like what happened. And having someone like Hernandez is someone who he had a history with that is, you know, following in his footsteps. It's a, it's a, a great way to do that story. As you're sitting here recapping that <clears throat> and we're jumping around now. But him getting a pass on everything. Him almost wanting to be punished because he knows the things he's done. And later in the episode, there's some hints that he might be a little suicidal. Essentially, um, there are scenes where he is doing his debriefing for Starfleet Command. And we've got uh, Gary, oh, geez, uh, Gary Graham's character. Uh, the fuck? Why am I blanking? Saval. Saval. You've got Saval there uh, questioning him on the events that took place on the uh, the Celia. The Celia. Yeah. And that's the one person that's not going to give Archer a pass on his deeds. I think the way that scene unfolds is good, but in light of, you know, everything you just said, I think it would have been interesting if Archer would have almost been relieved that there was someone 
being judgmental about his actions and and calling question to his behavior in the Delphic Expanse. Uh, I don't know how to play that out exactly, but if it that- was anyone but Saval or anything but that situation, like if it, I understand why they did it that way because they wanted the show Saval coming around to Archer to say you were correct to be captain of the Enterprise and you did the right thing, and they wanted to have that moment. But like the Salea episode was not a circumstance where Archer committed any misdeeds. And the audience there's no wiggle that. room there. Yeah, like he did everything correct, and it it was just a fucked situation, and it was never going to get unfucked no matter what anyone did. There was a zero percent success rate, right? The yeah. fact that they all got out alive was actually uh, unrealistic. Probably, yeah, like probably uh, kind of nuts. And when why that Admiral? When I tell you. This guy is the worst actor I've ever seen, and his, he was running across this bridge with zombie arms reaching for him. I would have bet both my arms he was going to die. Little I did I know he would survive until a robotic arm <laughs> grabbed him and melted him. I think it would have been better if Saval, like, brushed aside the Saleya thing. Like, that he was expecting him to say something about that and said, no, your log suggests you did the right thing. I'm more interested about these uh, Illyrians that you decided to strand in the middle of space to steal their parts. Ooh. And that's, that's a hard call to make because the Saleya incident, there's so much good callback in this episode, not just from season three, but like there's season two stuff, season one stuff. Thick. Like this is a great kind of recap, not a clip show by any stretch of the imagine, but Hey, remember that time when, um, and I obviously love impulse. It was my, it might've been my favorite out of season three or yeah, season three, but, uh, yeah, him criticizing them on stealing the warp core and playing space pirate and some of that other stuff, like that would have been juicy. Still, I, I, I get it. And I think it still mostly works, even if it wasn't exactly maybe the most high impact thing they could have done. Uh, but Tertagan Hernandez there initially in the bar, she basically recounts, yeah, everyone's just been waiting for the last year to see if the fucking Zindi came to blow them up. So, uh, you know, you can expect to be uh, lauded as a hero everywhere you go. Uh, I did like the the little detail of like there have been a record number of weddings and babies born. Because it's like, oh, we might die. We might as well get hitched. We might die. We might as well have kids. You know, you know, Let's I don't get it all in <laughs> by the part about having kids like. You have kids to celebrate not dying. I I don't think I would have been in a rush to have babies. I'm like, you know, let's bring life into this world so I can watch it die in a nuclear holocaust uh, by a space. I, death I guess start. the implication is a bunch of people banged. Yeah, and I didn't want to say that. I'm like a record mm-hmm. amount of sex was had. You know. <laughs> It's network TV. So they flash back to Enterprise where Trip rolls into the Paul's quarters and is like, what are you doing on vacation? Because I got told I got to go on vacation and my hometown was incinerated and my sister's dead and I'm not sure what to do. You already said it, dude. Do a world tour of beaches. It's a different one each day, right? That's what I'd be doing. But you can tell by the end of the scene, his whole intention was that he was trying to go wherever to Paul's going, right? Cause he's wants to, explore, he wants to explore his relationship with her. That was his intention all along. And, uh, he manages to succeed in getting invited along to, uh, Vulcan, uh, with Paul, who's going to visit her mom. 
So I was like, hey, we can go and come to Vulcan with me, stay in the guest room. It'd be totally fine. And he's a big grin on his face as he leaves like, ah, got him. I can finally like get this, like figure out exactly what I'm doing with this girl. (laughs) That's obviously his motivation and it's pretty understandable. Yeah, we're going to have Greyhound sex. Long haul out to uh, Vulcan. Yeah, 16 light years. Damn. That's far. Uh, I like the Columbia scenes, right? Uh, they fly up to Columbia at some point. And I, that has to just be the regular Enterprise set redressed, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, but it looks a little nicer. It looks a little bit newer. Looks just a little like bit more. Captain's chair looks a little bit more comfortable, you know. I like he points out like, hey, you know, make sure that you get the one with a better lumbar support because you're gonna be spending a lot of time in that chair. And this is where he starts laying down the groundwork of uh, really showing self doubt to his own perceptions of what his experiences in space would be versus what they actually were. And it's a really great recap of season one and season two. And he says uh, that he got in an argument with another um, administrator that was part of the project to build the NX-01 saying like, uh, listen, you got too many weapons on here. I don't want to be the captain of a warship as I'm trying to make these first contacts. Uh, And then he kind of looks off wistfully and says, we needed those weapons in hindsight and a hell of a lot more. You know, this is the guy who left fucking space dock without his phasers even working. Yeah. Just their, yeah. their rinky dink, uh, <laughs> cracker Jack torpedoes that would literally bounce off the hall of, uh, enemies. He probably feels embarrassed by his naivety, right? Like that's what he's reflecting on. Like, I can't believe I was stupid enough three years ago to think that my ship should, that shouldn't even have had weapons on it because clearly we just were out there to explore and everyone I would receive us in good faith. How dumb was I? And I think that that is really strong. Like it helps develop him as a character. Now his fuck ups are actually part of what's happened to him. Right. We, we complained a lot in season one. Like, he's so bad at this job. And now Archer in season four is telling us, oh, God, I was so bad at this job. <laughs> like, oh, that's cool. That's interesting. It shows you've grown. It shows you've changed. It shows you've become a leader. That's awesome. I mean, he was making mistakes before we even saw him on screen the first time in these arguments with the other people while they were designing the ship. It would have been great for him to throw a line in there and say, I can't believe we were out there two full years almost before I finally lost our first crew member. Like how did we get through so many harebrained adventures and, and save every life? And then, you know, the second we get into the Delphic expanse, we get murderized by marauding fur traders. So uh, something in the scene that I thought was interesting was that the captain he had this argument with was named captain Jeffries who is named after Matt Jeffries, an original TOS production uh, set designer and mm-hmm. well, the namesake of the Jeffries tube. Yeah. The captain Jeffrey would go on to design the first uh, Starfleet tube, <laughs> <laughs> which later in the 24th century would be miniaturized into what we know as a space pipe and bring uh, order to a galaxy at war. 
the next scene is the first part of the debrief scene. And we've already covered the Saleya bit, but it's Archer's reaction to Saval where he lays out a stunning, a stone cold stunner, if you will, which is, yeah, fuck you. You barely helped us. You know, his planet was barely, we're almost destroyed. And fucking T'Pol had to basically quit her job to come help me. I got more help the fucking Andorians than I got help from you, which is true, which is absolutely true. Shran rolled in and actually like spit hot fire, right? At the end, in the finale, he was there blowing shit up on Enterprise's behalf. His shit was on fire behind him. He's like, I don't fucking care. I fucking owe this man. We doing this shit. Way more than the Vulcans did. Way more. So he's absolutely right to call them out. Like, fuck you, dude. Fuck off. I, I did this. Huge. Yeah, now you know what happened to the Saleya. Had I taken your advice and not gone out to the Delphic Expanse, nobody would ever know that the Saleans, uh, that the crew of the Saleya was dying from crack poisoning. And it wouldn't matter because my planet wouldn't fucking be here. We would have gotten nuked from orbit. Uh, and nobody would have given a shit. And exactly what you said, you guys have done nothing for us, and it's the Andorians who you have constant beef with that essentially save the fucking day. And he blows up, and, like, Force tries to leash him, and Archer ain't having it. He just goes 100% putting him on blast in front of all the Admiralty. Uh, basically, the debrief is called off indefinitely, Forced grabs him off in a side room and like tries to talk him down a little bit. Archer ain't having it. And then Force is like, you're going on vacation. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't fire you. You save the planet. Like you basically have uh, infinite. You've God mode currently on on your mm-hmm. playthrough, right? Like no one here can touch you. I'm not going to act like I can touch you because that's bullshit. But go on vacation. You cannot be <laughs> yelling at the ambassador to Vulcan like that. We have not unlocked the technology of counselors yet, and uh, it is beyond me to recognize that you clearly have some major PTSD. <laughs> Why don't you go out on a, a trail hike and rock climb at midnight? And hey, don't forget to bring a gun. <laughs> you never know when you're going to fight your 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 uh, your dream demons. <laughs> you're going to need to be armed. I, I did I did like in that Lower Decks episode where, by the way, which we still have to record a, a Patreon episode for, that the counselor is like this bird person. Yeah, it's like like super stereotypically a, a counselor and they kind of lean into the whole mm-hmm. space corduroy jacket with elbow patches and a smoking oh yeah. pipe. Oh, yeah. And and then it's like he's super touchy feely about being a, 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 a space counselor because space is so horrifying. I hadn't watched I hadn't watched Lower Decks in so long. I had no idea it gotten as funny as it was. It's but. great. It's uh, I had uh, one of our friends of the show, Nate, started watching it. And he's like, is, is it canon? This can't be canon. I'm like, it's canon. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a there's canon. A fun, there's crossover episodes of Strange New Worlds. Like, it's canon. And yeah, they do some zany, goofy shit. But uh, if it's between that being canon or Discovery, give me that lower deck cartoon humor throw marty mcfly's hoverboard and vest hey the original series animated series is canon so there's precedent well they're not doing the same shit they're doing straight yeah it's world. true <laughs> come on uh and then uh of course erica hernandez shows up you know 
when he goes to hiking with his gun. So, you know, they're going to have their, their together time. Um, now we cut back to Vulcan. Uh, so Paul and, and trip have arrived and scenic Vulcan, which, uh, is apparently just, uh, extremely Asian, no matter where you are. And, and Paul is very trepidation. Uh, you know what? I'm going to just let me point this out for the whole episode. Julian Blaylock is uh, doing great in this episode uh, with showing a lot of emotional tension in a very Vulcan way. It's a very uh, specific, nuanced performance that she's being uh, asked to deliver now with this character because of so much has happened to her. She's 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 had the emotional crack rock addiction. Uh, she's been telepathically uh, violated. She has several times. She's Vulcan AIDS. Uh, she is not right anymore she is a little loose with her emotional state and this episode is a great example of how she finds a way to actually show that with the right amount of kind of vulcan subtlety right twitches in her face you know she looks away big gulps you know like she's always got this tension that's at the surface that she is attempting to battle and you watch her battle it all the time and and even in this scene she's she's still home she's kind of worried about being home she hasn't seen her mom in a long time like all those things you'd normally be anxious about that you never see in a vulcan who has their full shit together she doesn't have her full shit together so it's coming out a little bit you know trip's not really picking up on it um he's remarking about how beautiful the her, her home is she remarks that oh you know vulcans like beautiful things and he goes oh well you know I've known that you're such a snazzy dresser. Thanks, Trip. Thanks for noticing my hosing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for noticing the toddler clothing that I wear when you come over and get your body massage. Smile on his face too is like, oh, I'm totally flirting with you right now. You absolutely better believe it. <laughs> they get busted though because mommy comes rolling out. Um, is her mom anyone fancy? I could see her being some Romulan of some sort. What's her name? So Teles. Teles. Who his uh, to Paul's mom is uh, played by Joanna Cassidy. The interesting thing about Joanna Cassidy is she was actually someone who tried out to be Janeway and did not get the job. And I kind of got that vibe from her, right? Like that she had that sort of matronly authority figure thing going. And I could see where maybe she might have worked as a potential Janeway at one point. They didn't move forward with her, but. Clearly, she stayed in the minds of the casting folks uh, on Star Trek and eventually wound up here. Uh, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Uh, this is uh, Zora from Blade Runner. She's the stripper replicant that's got the python around her. Speaking of cyberpunk. Oh, damn. Okay. I didn't read her other work. I just looked at her Star Trek stuff. She's Dolores and who frames Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, she's. I, I love Star Trek and the fucking... Just the crazy history of the people that uh, end up on this show. Um, did, did they ever talk about how T'Pol's dad dies or where he's at exactly? Only that he's deceased. I don't think it ever actually comes up how or why. Not a great relationship between T'Pol and her mother. Uh, her mother is extremely insightful and is able to piece together the entire relationship between her and Trip. 
very easily. Um, some complicated things are going on in her life, and they are further compounded by the fact that DePaul has walked away from a prearranged marriage. Uh, for all the insight that her mother has, though, I feel like there is a scene that is missing where she should be pulling to Paul off and saying, what the fuck is going on? You are unhinged. You are. She, she does mention it. Kind of. But I mean, like. <clears throat> subtle, though, it may be the amount of emotion spilling out of DePaul, who is still fresh on the emotion train. Like, you know, she's been taking trillium D. She's rotted her brain to the point where she doesn't have the physical insulation against emotions like. Uh, her mom should be like super fucking concerned that she's she's out of control. I mean, she says like your emotions have always been close to the surface, but you've changed. You know, it's spilling like this does all get mentioned, you know, like she notices. I, does she show the, the level of concern you're suggesting? You can see where the difference is there. But I think she she pays the toll, right? She's the mom. She notices the thing. She directly mentions it to to, to Paul. Mm. You know, I, okay. You have checked the boxes. You've done. You've done what I expected you to do here. She's not happy to see Trip there. Trip was unannounced. Uh, I could have gone for some commentary about how he stinks and that she's going to have to go get her nose drops. <laughs> I did like that she, she warms up to him, though. Yeah, he um, fixed the refrigerator. How do you, yeah. <laughs> you don't say no to a handyman, all right? That's how you bridge a gap. When you're a nerd and you can go over there and fix someone's computer, that buys you a lot of goodwill. And, you know, as as they get to know each other, when I say they, I mean to Les and, and Trip, uh, she seems to kind of get a little bit like, oh, this guy's actually pretty this is a good guy. Like I, like I, I shouldn't be too angry at my daughter for bringing him home. Like he's, he's got his shit together. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now, if they ever get around to making the triple X porn parody of enterprise, the situation is going to be revisited. Oh, I, <laughs> I would imagine so <laughs> practically begs for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, costs who we've heard of, um, is the fiance who was left, right? And we heard of this in season one. Uh, so this was actually a, the first time uh, Trip and T'Pol really had a serious personal conversation was about this guy and that uh, she does not want to be married to him and has no feelings for him. Uh, but he has continued to want to marry her and that is going to come up, unfortunately, for Trip. Meanwhile, back in the mountains, we have more of Archer and Hernandez talking about what it was like to be out there dealing with the Zindi, going into the expanse, exploring space. And you get a lot of the regret from Archer. Now it's the, I was a pirate. I tortured people like, you know, like you'll feel differently. The first time you deliver a couple eulogies about, you know, how wonderful it is to explore space. Once people start getting fucking killed, it's going to be different for you. Him dealing with uh, death and grief is one half of it. The other half, <clears throat> this is kind of explored through her saying, hey, uh, I need to finalize my crew roster. I want your input. This pragmatic, pessimistic 
part of him that's like, you know, you should think about Mako's. You should uh, get rid of the Starfleet officer you're looking at for tactical. You need to get a Mako guy in there. I'm going to tell you what happens. I've seen them side by side. And if I could go back and do it, <laughs> I would have had Lieutenant fucking Hayes on my bridge instead of that buster. <laughs> fucking uh, read that fucking creep. You should see if you can get an entire platoon installed. And she's like, well, I don't think. And, you know, nothing he's saying is wrong. And. That was certainly one of our biggest criticisms early on is that, you know, these guys are getting to these terrible away teams. I love that. They're looking up at the stars and he's like, oh, hey, look, there's that first planet we went to us planet reefer madness, beautiful M class planets closest, you know, habitable planet to Earth. Oh, cool. Maybe we'll set up an outpath post there. Uh, no, we went crazy and my guys were shooting each other with f- fucking tickle guns like not a good time. It is wild and bad out there and it fucking sucks. And maybe the Vulcans were right and we went too fast, too quickly. Uh, Maybe we should just mind our own fucking business. Yeah, like he says, like when you need our ships to defend ourselves, we should do what the Vulcans do. Keep them close to home. Fuck this shit. That's ridiculous. These are great scenes because this is the first time Archer is able to talk to an equal. This is the first time he does not have to maintain the illusion of uh, command or right. uh, be the face of reason and that he can just be a guy venting, not even venting, just real talking and saying it's terrible out there. It fucking sucks. A lot of bad shit happened. I regret a lot of things. And. You know, I'm not going to demoralize anybody that's going to have to show up to, with work me tomorrow and look at me and, and see me in a different light. Like you're going to be dealing with this shit, too. And you need to really understand what's happening out there. It is not romantic. It is bad. Yeah. Turns out space is filled with horrors and we should probably hire some mental health therapists or I get some really good drugs. Yeah, Don't scary worry, stuff, do. too. Meanwhile. There are other members of the crew who are trying to enjoy their newfound celebrity and shore leave. And so we cut back to the same fucking bar and at the same bar, Travis and Reed and Flox are hanging out and, you know, Reed is a creep. So he's signing autographs for the ladies, you know, sorry, I can't give you a tour, but that ever changes you'll be the first to know because you'll be right there because i roofed you and uh you know flox is down to have a good time he's having a beer he's hanging out with the boys now there was a scene earlier where he got warned that hey earth has changed in the wake of the attacks there's some anti-alien sentiment out there and flox kind of shrugs it off little does he know he's about to encounter some uh some some terran rednecks here Sure enough, guy rolls up and um, suggests that the alien should uh, go ahead and depart from this particular establishment where perhaps his kind, his kind would be better received across the river. And um, I couldn't tell you a single line of dialogue in any of this because all I'm hearing is this jack and do, 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 do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As I watch. This uh, Terry Tate office linebacker 
Travis Mayweather, Mayweather sitting there waiting for his moment. Just coiling under pressure. <laughs> as, if, ready. as if he's sitting at the con while alien uh, occupiers are on the bridge pointing phasers at people, just waiting for someone to get danger close to where he's sitting so he can snap into action and spear someone through a fucking wall. It's like, motherfucker, you should see the things those Makos taught me. I killed all those Nazis. I'm ready for you. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking racist piece of shit. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. Please jump off. Please. Do you know how many space fascists I've sacked in my day? <laughs> sure enough, these this this dude has homies. They roll up. Travis is ready. And when it when the action pops off. First, Reed, he's like uncharacteristically good in a fight, right? He like ducks the first punch and then punches a guy down, right? Like he's even getting on on the action. But Travis, Travis pulls the most amazing twofer I've seen. He rolls out of his chair, spears a guy with his shoulder, takes another guy's head, concaves it against the barge, knocks that guy the fuck out, and then takes the other guy to the ground and starts wailing on him. Like you brought, you brought, uh, you brought a, a fucking freight train to a bar fight. What is this? It 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 goes for him like similar to playing any of the Batman Arkham games. Oh yeah, it's just a three piece takedown. It's beautiful. Yeah, uh, I was amazed to see that Reed was actually able to win a fight without waiting for someone to walk away while he runs behind them and jump kicks him in the back. <laughs> Well, you know, you've been power leveled, right? And then suddenly you get level one, you know, goons walk by and you get to act, you know, you get to show how good you are now. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, one of them turns on flocks and then we find out that Denoblians apparently can blow their faces up like pufferfish to intimidate people. And um, this apparently ends the fight. Like, that's why they had to accept their uh, awards for saving Earth in front of... Uh, I, I can't even liken this set piece. It's so bad. Like, Yeah. The money that should have been into making a nice looking set there went into his puffer face CGI bill, I think. There's more stuff going on back with T'Pol on Vulcan. I noticed that uh, at no point does T'Pol go to tell her mother, hey, by the way, I was addicted to crack rock. <laughs> um, leaves that out. We're running up on time here, but some important stuff happened. Basically, after... Uh, to Paul assisted Archer in um, what would become the destruction of uh, Pajem. Vulcan High Command was not happy. They couldn't get to her because she was on the Federation. I'm sorry, on the Starfleet ship. Uh, so they punished her mother and she was forced out of her teaching position at the Vulcan Science Academy in shame. Uh, so to Paul's decisions and wild deviation from proper Vulcan etiquette has uh, had greater effects. And that hurts her deeply because for whatever the conflict she has with her mother is, um, she is not okay that her decisions have cost the family. And she gets put in a situation where Kovac, is that his name? Koval? Koss. Koss shows up unexpected says, uh, yeah, listen, I know you said you don't want to marry me, but I still want to marry you and we're still getting married. And I don't care what kind of sham this fucking marriage is like, I don't know what kind of weird agenda this dude has. 
if it's a crush, if it's a overriding need for formality and 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 proper Vulcan society, uh, or if it's just that, you know, he's seen her in a tight cut top and he knows what's up. But he's like, listen, you play ball. I'm cool if you go off to Enterprise and you can go do your own thing. Um, she's like, you want a sham loveless marriage? He's like, no, I just want you to be happy, which kind of a solid good guy play there. Right. But then he skeeves it up a little bit and says, and also, if we get married, I can pull some strings with my dad and get your mom reinstated in the position she lost. That's how we find out that she got fired. So, yeah, she makes it sound like she was resigned, that she retired. When in actuality, it was this and it all starts to come out. And as you noted to Paul, bears a personal responsibility or feels personal responsibility, which she hides poorly. Again, like the effect of everything that's happened to her is leaving her more raw with these emotions. And so when she just to kind of wrap up the whole Vulcan well, hold side on, of the storyline, because yeah. like she doesn't want anything to do with this dude. She is happy to leave Vulcan society forever. It feels like at this point, she's told her mom that she's had a uh, Starfleet commission waved in front of her face and that she's going to take it essentially. And then uh, when her fiance is like, listen, I want to get married. And she's like, I don't want anything to do with you. She even plays a card and goes, oh, um, by the way, I've been recently sick and it could like take me a long time to heal. You know, it, it comes off kind of like, no, Johnny, I can't go out with you Friday. I got to wash my hair. Like if she really wanted this guy to fuck off. She'd be like, cool. I'm glad you love me so much real quick. So we're on the same page. Um, I uh, I've been doing mind melds. I've got space aids. I'm also recovering crackhead. Um, <laughs> and I can barely contain my emotions permanently. Yeah, I've got I've got full blown emotions now. What what else other terrible shit have I been dealing with? Oh, yeah, I was a uh, mine rot zombie there for a couple minutes. It's why I got addicted to the space crack rock, you know, yeah, destroyed my emotional regulation system. Oh, I almost turned into a bird. I was a bird person. Yeah, yeah. They could have used a lot more. She could have. She could have gotten the whole meal. She she held back. I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff I'm missing too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, eventually, T'Pol takes trip to see a canyon of bad CG of, I don't know, like some World of Warcraft statues. It's like a uh, Ragefire Chasm or something. I don't no, know, man. That's uh, that's that's solid uh, Knights of the Old Republic one. That's oh, it's Korriban. Yeah. That's the Valley of Sith with those yeah. hooded robed figures and all that jagged aliasing going down the sides. I do appreciate that he that trip went to this occasion in his his tidy like uh, uh, polo shirt. Like, oh, I always wanted he's to going see to Hawaii. The, yeah, I always wanted to see where the Dark Lords sleep of Vulcan. And uh, over this romantic vista, Paul says, yeah, OK, Trip. So um, I have to marry Koss. Here's all the reasons I have to marry Koss. I don't want to. Um, and Trip gets mad about it because Trip clearly went on this trip with her and she entertain this because they're interested in each other. She, you know, trip had a conversation with to Paul's mom where she calls it out. He goes, yep, I sure am involved with your daughter. That is true. You know, I'm trying, trying to see, make this work. 
Um, and now he's going to have to watch her marry someone else. He's upset about that. Um, I think reasonably, you know, we've given trip shit in the past for being like a little too like emotionally, uh, immature in these moments and written is just kind of being very selfish. But in this case, it's like, yeah, this is a bit raw, right? Like you knew like three years ago, you were telling him not to telling her not to marry this guy. Yeah. And now she's going to do it. Like this actually like, ooh, I would, I would rub you the wrong way. It, it took me off guard too at the speed in which this happens. And I think that was kind of like the connective piece that's missing there. She's like, uh, I'm going to marry him and I'm going to marry him tomorrow and be like, well, what the fuck? Like, this is my vacation. You brought me out on vacation with you for a surprise marriage to a guy that we both agreed is bad news. <laughs> like, yeah, this isn't what I said. I want to go fucking lava surfing or whatever the fuck you guys do. Like, I want to see you. you get married tomorrow in your or, backyard and the most like, low rent <laughs> figure out if we are dating or what are we, you know, like, are we romantically involved? Like we banged that one time, but you know, kind of want to do mm-hmm. that more. You're like, you, Something and listen, about- when they do the Enterprise porn parody, there's a lot of, you know, wedding dress stuff out there. Promiscuous bride. You're going to try and will this into uh, into existence. And I appreciate I'm that. I'm sure it's already out there in written form. <laughs> uh, yeah, them getting married in the backyard. Very budget friendly. If you're going to have to go to the local um, big lots and buy as much cast iron outdoor wind chimes and teapots or whatever the hell she's got all over her backyard. Like you want to make full use out of it. And that means yes, having a wedding sequence in the back. Uh, I like the interactions with the mom too. Like you said, like yeah. she's like, I think, I think he gets some solid dude points because she sees that he could really fuck her up and be like, Hey, I love you and cause strife. And he does the chivalrous thing and, and doesn't, tell her because like on one hand either she's going to fuck up her marriage and cause problems for you which is clearly important to her or <clears throat> even worse uh, she's going to know I love her and go into this marriage and just be twice as miserable I was almost expecting the mom to step forward and fuck the wedding up and say uh, I forbid this I release you from your obligation yada 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 so that completing was interesting um, also was interesting is on the trail while archers mountain climbing, they encounter some weird footprints. Of course, he's got a tricorder handy while he's climbing up the side of a mountain, apparently. I One last thing about the marriage thing that I just wanted to point out. First, that Trip wears uh, to Paul's dad's Vulcan like clothes to the ceremony and observes it. And to Paul is so like recognizes that Trip decided not to burden her by once again, like letting her emotions out and actually kisses her kisses him right before she goes to get married. And I thought that was just like perfectly done of like, he goes over, she, he says, you're beautiful. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Right. Like does the correct thing in the circumstance to support a woman. We now know he loves. She recognizes that there's no recognition of it in plain speech, but in her literally stopping him physically and kissing him before going out there. Like, I understand what you've done. Thank you. You know, just great. Like, Julian Blaylock deserves way more praise for playing this character than I think she really ever got because it was just she was there for TNA, obviously. And by the time she's here, she's really figured it out. 
nobody gets recognized on a grand scale for subtle acting. Yeah. Yeah. It's you like gotta be he, yelling or you have to be doing something. There's gotta be high gravity behind it and, and subtle stuff like this just, uh, is never going to capture, uh, the broader scale of attention. Switch back yeah, over. Back, the- yeah. Back, back to the, having a tricorder and, uh, finding where the mountain lines are. Yeah. You've now introduced Chekhov's gun because we know, or at least I assume there's going to be an encounter with wildlife. And it immediately makes me think of, uh, the, the season eight Voyager stuff, how Chakotay gets in the running gun fight with the wolves. Oh, of course. And I was like, oh shit, is Archer about to zap a fucking lion? <laughs> but no, he, he fights the only appearance of the Zindi in season four as 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 two uh, reptilian uh, dream warriors pop out and uh, throw him also off the very Chakotay, still very Chakotay. And yeah, they're like, drag him to hell. Like, you know, you thought you were getting off the Death Star without falling off that fucking railing. You were wrong. And they just yeet him right off the side of the mountain to his death. And then he wakes up. I thought maybe he was going to shoot the captain of the Columbia. <laughs> What's her name? I'm going to have to learn her name. Hernandez. Erica Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah, I'm going to write that. Uh, yeah, I thought he was going to have like a cool PTSD moment where he blasts her. Uh, instead, I don't know. He goes off to do some more night climbing and she stops him and he, you know, really starts to fully uh, expose the extent of his trauma. <laughs> There's a really great line in there. It's one of the best I've seen them deliver. And he's like, you know, I wanted to go the one place I could get away from everyone else that wanted to congratulate me right now. I don't want to see you because you remind me of what I was. And, you know, seeing you makes me realize that I lost something out there and I don't know how to get it back. And that's innocence. That's naivete. That's uh wonder wonder. Yeah. She's like, yeah, well, how about I bang you? He's yeah. Like, I was like, you know, I, I'm a woman. I know what fixes this. <laughs> Let's go, buddy. <laughs> you need a, uh, you need the three, the three point contact, uh, control alt delete here, buddy. You got to reboot that system. Listen, you know, you got a good woman when they can see it and be like, all right, it's time. Let's go. All right, let's clear some space. Let's, let's make this happen. All right. Listen, I might not be a Vulcan, but, uh, after a hard day of climbing in the sun, you stink. Let me go get my nose drops here real quick, and then we'll hit the sack. Um. So they head back. They finish the. Um. They finish the debriefing, and then, of course, when we finally have Saval turn around and give his little soliloquy to say, "Okay, John, you saved Vulcan. You saved Earth." I thought you shouldn't be captain of the enterprise. I was fucking wrong. Glad you got the job. Thank you. Here's my hand. I want you to shake it. Thank you is a big deal too, because earlier in the episode to Paul's mom calls out and says, uh, you know, gratitude is basically illogical and it's a waste of breath. And, uh, you know, well, I noticed to Paul's been saying thank you a lot. And and yeah, that's that's a bad thing. That's you guys rubbing off on her. So for Suval to turn around and say thank you becomes a big fucking deal. Um, it, he almost looks like it's painful for him to stick his hand out to shake his hand. Did you see that? He's like, 
Like, I'm going to do this. And okay, I get it. Like, that's not probably something as in a, a, a very human gesture. And he is offering it to, to, to Archer out of genuine respect. I got it. The episodes where he crashed on the surface of whatever that conflict was, where Susie Plaxton tries to kill Archer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, end, the, the second Andorian, Shadows of a Gem. Yeah, that was a really good uh, episode for growth of Suval, right? And that left him on very good footing with Archer. They shared the brandy, whatever there was drinking. Um, there was kind of some... Things, things went south... I don't know. They didn't really go south, man. Like, because after that, the next time we saw him was him briefing him on uh, the Delphic Expanse. And it wasn't until Archer just kind of blows up on him during that briefing that there's any backtreading. But a really good episode for them continuing their relationship. And what's your point out now, like the, the difficulty that he has breaking tradition and like seeing eye to eye with humans contrasts very uh, starkly with the Vulcan diplomat from fallen heroes do you remember that one okay yeah 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 so that would have been the to paul's like diplomatic Hero. yeah 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 i mean it's kind of a crappy episode but it shows that vulcans can adopt these customs and really roll with the punches on them so you know maybe she was just a spectacular diplomat and able to play along easier maybe suval's a lot more hard-nosed which kind of makes sense because Suval does come from that security background, right? Correct. He was a spy. So, yeah, the, the episode wraps actually on the wedding. So it's just a lot of these character scenes. You, you see everybody kind of having their moment, except for Hoshi, who's in one scene in the whole episode, telling Flock, sorry about all that racism. I'll bring you some egg drop soup. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sorry about all that racism. I'll make you feel better with some stereotypical uh, I'm gonna Asian go get, stuff. Yeah, I'm going to go get Asian food because I'm the Asian person. Um, But yeah, it's that's what you want, right? Like you want this kind of payoff after an entire season of high intensity continuity, right? You want everything that's happened on the show to matter now, right? And it does from the conversations that they were ha- the, the the first planet they found. Right. Like episode three uh, to the time they talked when they were dealing with that whole comet situation and like episode six about this this fiance that hasn't been really mentioned since, Uh, you know, it all matters to where they are now. You link back to those moments and you provide a, a demonstration of how much the characters have changed. Trip has become much more emotionally open to to Paul to Paul's become much more emotionally open to him. You, you see their relationship continue. Um, you see Archer deal with the naivety of his old self in the person of his ex-girlfriend and having to cotton to his real trauma being, he wishes he could be her and not be burdened by knowing and having done the things that he wish he hadn't done, you know, like great storytelling. I'm in for this. Looking back, I think we should have done a uh, sketch opening on this and it would have been Archer sitting with the admirals debriefing him. Just the. F- so, <laughs> wait, wait. So, so you're fighting Nazis? Oh, no, hold on. Go back. Cowboys in space? 
lost Earth colony of abducted cowboys? You dropped your communications officer down with an alien you knew would rape her. <laughs> you knew. <laughs> and, you, and she took, she took what? She wore what? <laughs> okay. You kept a sample of the planet where you turned into bird people? <laughs> Please, uh, if you could. Where is that? Where, where is that? At? <laughs> is that an, or- an orbit of this planet? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so your ship that has basically shot up Swiss cheese and just could blow up at any moment. Um, we're going to send a Section 31 uh, retrieval crew up to grab the bread box you've deposited that in. There's so much good stuff in Season 3, it's easy to forget about all the wild bad shit. <laughs> It's true. Uh, moving on, though. Wild stuff. We're going to get into season four episode Borderland. Written by Ken Lazabnik, directed by David Livingston. Archer needs the help of a criminal to prevent the war with the Klingons. And right down there in the spoiler picture, I'm seeing uh, Orion Bikini Girl. And uh oh, <laughs> hell yeah. There's Brett scowling. So uh, it's time to bring out the big guns, right? And by the big guns, I mean, if we're going to have a Soong, there's only one man to play him. A Soong the position. Yes. So <laughs> uh, this is the start of the arcs that season four has. So this is actually three parts. And yeah, this we're in the oops all bangers part of Enterprise. So strap yourself in, my friend. And strap yourself in loyal listeners and we'll see you next week <laughs>